Right, I think that's recording. Uh, do you mind like doing a bit of an introduction of who who you are, what you do? Yeah, so I'm Tilly Lenz. I'm a senior lecturer at Bournemouth University. Um, I've been at BU now for a couple of years. Before that, I was part of what is called um, a teaching partnership, which is local authorities and um, the university working really closely together um, around social work education in the wider sense and essentially improving outcomes for service users, patients and the, the people that we serve at the end of the day. Um, before all of that, I was a social worker, practitioner and manager in local authorities and the third sector, and mostly worked in child protection settings. Amazing. <laughs> um, so this podcast is looking at educational outcomes for looked after children. Mm-hmm. Um, so after looking, after working in a placement at a high school um, a big thing that I've been looking into is their outcomes in education and what a big difference there is from children living at home and looked after children um, I think roughly if we're looking at their grades um, 51.9 percent of children living at home are achieving grades five or above in English or maths compared to 12.6% of looked after children um, and that's only 1% higher than children on child protection. Um, how have you, what's your experience and your view on the educational outcomes of looked after children? I think I can speak from that really privileged position where I started working in the UK as a social worker um, in 2006, which was before the financial crisis, before um, measures of austerity were really put in place, which had a significant impact on the educational provision for looked after children, or provision for children generally and families that were in need of a service. Um, And for me, the, the provision of education starts at home. Um, Are parents able to support the children? Now, if home is dangerous, abusive, um, frightening, then clearly you're not going to learn that as a child. No. Um, If school is the only place where you feel mildly safe, where you can connect with people, um, that may be good, but sometimes school can also be that frightening and scary place for children and young people who've gone through trauma and abuse. I think in the past, um, we've tried to support children and young people in those situations, and there was a good understanding of trauma-informed care and trauma-informed education. So I'm quite aware of a number of um, provisions and services that were put in place in the day, 2006 to 2008, um, that were really beneficial for children that were in the care system. Um, I then, shall we say, travelled through time and services and have seen a decline of those services being available. The services may still be there, but the thresholds for them to be accessed for children and young people who are in the care system, who by definition, have experienced trauma and abuse has just declined. It's yeah, really I think difficult. one in a, um, some research I, I looked at, um, I think one of the 
challenges for social workers that they find is finding the resources. Um, so whether it's the state's role as a parent to provide them, what is it? So um, their role to make sure looked after children have maximum opportunity to reach their full potential, but mm. that their full potential isn't being reached in my opinion because they're even social workers are saying there isn't the resources or places out there to help them absolutely i, I would agree with you there um it, it unfortunately comes down to money um mm. it it isn't the lack of goodwill of people wanting to support mm. and help every school would want to support and help a child that's gone through really traumatic experiences mm. But if you've got 30 other children in the classroom and maybe five or six others who have gone through um, similar experiences or have um, higher educational and social needs, you're not going to manage that as a, as a teacher in a primary or secondary school. So that will then have an impact on all other children. So we're, we're ending up with a situation where children get excluded. Um, and I would probably advocate it's not even their own fault because no child will say to their caregiver please give me abuse mm. they want love they want attention yeah because mm. I looked at suspensions as well um because that's a lot of the behavior I saw in the high school I think the from speaking to some of the teachers there they sort of come into high school and everything seems to be okay and they can deal with it obviously not in all cases but I think as those hormone changes and as they get older that that behavior really does um, peak um, and I looked I think children in um, so children not in care so living at home mm -hmm. I think they, they have 1.9 seven percent suspensions compared to um looked after children that have been in in care for longer than 12 months and that's 9.38 percent so it's quite a big a big difference i think and i think that does like you said it comes out in the behavior that that's seen in school yeah it, it does and um i, I would be keen to not attribute blame to anyone um be it the, the education providers the individual teachers um all the people who look after the children at the end of the day foster carers play a significant role um in this and again the the whole care or look after children's care settings um are really complex and finding good foster carers who can support children and young people who are in education that's a lot of the task for them because yeah. very often children are placed away from their own school um, that they attended previously. They have to travel sometimes many, many miles, um, yeah. a couple of hours in a taxi or the foster care has to get them there and back. So those tensions that will automatically build up if you have to ferry a child around all day, every day, um, that's going to have an impact on family dynamics in, in foster care. Yeah, I read about foster carers and uh, such a high percentage um, have like this stress, um, secondary stress disorder. Mm -hmm. um, 
and in, in foster care is that's a lot and that as much as they try not to pass that stress on to the foster children I think mm. that's a massive part I think the support for foster carers my friend herself she's a foster carer and everything had been she she hasn't had too many but she had one child and the the way she was the violence the and there was no support and at the end of it um no one no one told her how it was going to be no one no one came and helped her when she needed it um and at the end when she said oh well now I'm I don't want to have anyone now that's not in education because she was there all the time um they turned around and asked her are you sure you won't have her back again and there was no there was no offer of how to deal with these behaviors um and I think then that breaks down the placements even more which causes more instability um and I think yeah I think that's why there's less foster carers or more leaving anyway it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end of the day it's them down to resources again and um, I've not met a foster carer who didn't want to give their very best to the yeah. children that they've had placed. I've been a supervising foster um, supervising social worker uh, for a couple of years and supported quite a number of foster carers with children and young people who had very complex needs including educational needs. Yeah. Um, and very often children even if you can find a relatively local placement that may only be five miles down the road um, if you've got three children just remembering one family three children placed who all go to three different schools um, that's a really logistical nightmare for someone and five miles doesn't sound very far mm. but doing that in um, school traffic rush hour um, from um, well, poor Bournemouth, five miles becomes an hour. Yeah. car with three children yeah, who definitely. are anxious, who are frightened, who've been abused, who've been um, through really traumatic experiences. That hour becomes really tense. So actually those children aren't necessarily able to, well, uh, they're not necessarily ready for learning when they get to school. Yeah. If you can't yeah. afford three children in the back of your car, you might know how tensions rise whilst you're stuck in traffic for an hour, yeah. whilst they're hungry, whilst their yeah. worries are rising about what's going to happen. Um, everyone knows in school what's happened to them. There is a huge stigma attached to being a looked after child. Yeah. They may get bullied. So school may not be that safe place. Um, I so think it's if they like to think... Um, I know they tried to keep them um, looked after children in the same school. Mm -hmm. um and I think it's great they go to school and that's where you want them to be um but I've known children in my placement that were traveling nearly two hours in a taxi to school because they were in um like respite and their placements mm -hmm. were breaking down and then they sit in school and I think how tired must they be um mm -hmm. And then they're thinking about, and I spoke to, I've done a uh, podcast with another girl and it was, she would think in school, where am I gonna be next? And being present in those lessons, it just, it wasn't possible. 
Um, yes, they might have turned up to school, which is great for an attendance tick, but they weren't really able to fully engage in what's happening. Yeah. And that's probably fair to say that in the past it was um, quite the norm for social workers to see children in school um, because it was easier for the social worker. And I'm just as guilty as everyone else about that. Um, that was just common practice. Um, I think, hopefully, as a professional, we've moved a little bit away from that because really that especially check with the young person or child um, shouldn't just be our convenience. It should actually meet the need of the young person that we're working with. But when you know that social worker will turn up in school and you get pulled out of class because that's was just the one hour slot that the social worker had available that is really really stigmatizing and unpleasant you stick out like well the weirdo in class because your social worker is there again and if that social worker had removed you from your family before it's just really triggering trauma how can you then afterwards go back into class and be ready for learning so i think there's a lot about our social work practice that we need to take into account um, when we engage with children and young people. Yeah, definitely. The um, When children go into, first go into care, um, how, so I've heard, I've read up about this strengths and difficulties questionnaire that is supposed to be done as they enter care, is that right? It depends on um, which organization you you work for essentially the strengths and difficult difficulties questionnaire have been around for well, probably a good 20 odd years um so in some local authorities have been incorporated into the, the paperwork that gets filled out if, if and when a child comes into care um some use it as a standalone document so it really depends on where you are okay so what is the assessment process when a child comes into care of their emotional so like their mental health what is that so how would you decide if they needed like if they were to need support or I would argue that probably all children and young people who come into care need emotional support to make sense yes, of the situation that they've just experienced yeah um sometimes have just experienced yet again it's hugely traumatic to be re removed from your family. Um, yes. And not all removers are um, easy, yeah. um, if we use that word. Um, sometimes there, there is a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved on all sides. Yeah. Um, and it, it can be just really, really scary. Um, so I would advocate that all children need that support. It yeah. isn't available, it has never been available. Now, as social workers, we have some understanding of um, mental health and emotional needs, but we aren't qualified to diagnose. No. We can make a general assessment of the well-being of a, a child or young person, but we can't say that someone has um, post-traumatic stress disorder from the domestic abuse that they've experienced. That is not our role. That is not our responsibility. We can have a view that someone may display some signs of PTSD because of their experience so we need to be careful with our wording there um, yeah because I totally agree, I totally agree the um looking into it more with CAMS which is obviously where 
the referral would go into mm-hmm. um such a high percentage of looked after children are actually reject their referrals are rejected because their life's too un- unstable mm-hmm. um and being a looked after child and but going between foster um homes you're gonna it's gonna be unstable but that's why they need in my opinion why they need the support and like you said why are they not all having the support automatically when they come in um I spoke to one girl um and she said she can play it very well and she wanted to be strong for her sibling um she said that I didn't want to show that I was struggling and this was a few years ago and now she's asked for the help and she's become confident enough to ask for it and it's been refused with no no explanation and that's made her feel even more rejected now um and i think i and looking at other other looked after children in school later on i think they've never had that support they've had some elsa at school which the school have said isn't mm-hmm. isn't it's good but it's not they needed more um it's a sticky plaster on a broken leg yeah yeah and i just think if there was something put in place right at the beginning it's not going to fix everything but at least to try and deal with the trauma they've been through yeah i, I sometimes wonder if um as professionals um be teachers foster carers social workers we've become so used to the trauma of a removal and a placement um that we just get on with it but actually it very often is the first time of the experience for children and young people that we remove and place and have to readjust so there is something for me about the the empathy that we as professionals need to show to the children that we work with and help them make sense of it yeah um, unfortunately if you've got a caseload of i don't know 25 um children um and you've got a a class of 30 um as a teacher and you may have a couple of other children placed with you as a foster carer it's really difficult to be in that emotional place where you can Mm. really help that young person to make sense of of their experiences and And like you can't be in their head like looking at how they are and what they like you don't know how they're how they're feeling inside and I mean, you only have to look at the educational outcomes to realise whatever's being done isn't enough. Because if the support was in place and they were getting doing doing everything to help them reach their potential, it wouldn't be there wouldn't be that much of a gap. Um, and I think it, it is more than the outcomes, educational outcomes, because it's the what they'll move on to if they haven't got their education. There's more likely to be in criminal, um, have criminal activity, what's it, teenage parenthood, substance misuse, um, suicide. It it just and I think for just for having that support, more support at the beginning and or throughout, I think it should be should be throughout this. Absolutely. And and actually our expectations just because someone is a looked after child shouldn't just drop because we know that the education outcomes for looked after children are poorer than for others. Um, And I vividly remember having to advocate for a um, 
young person who wanted to pursue a career and my manager said that she's look after the child she won't become an accountant anyway she won't stick to that why would you think she sticks to that and i was actually shocked that the expectations in that local authority from that manager at the time were that we don't actually need to really support young people because we just accept that they've been sucked into the system and it's just heartbreaking it's not it's like they're getting treated because of why they were in care they're getting looked at because of that not they're not looking being looked at separately from their case I guess whatever happened in the past um which is really sad um is in the system this is something I am so un don't don't know anything about when you've got all the different agencies involved in a looked after child's life mm -hmm. is everything all the systems separate they are um so you may have cams who have their own system um because they usually sit under health and the nhs has their own recording system um you may have police involved who have their own recording system you may have um, the looked after children's nurse involved. So again, that's health, but not CAMS, so different systems. And that may even be a different trust, depending on where you access your services. Yeah. Um, you may have the GP, who again is a different system, maybe even again, different trust. Um, you may have the, well, the school involved, you may have the virtual school involved, you may have um, another school involved if the, the child had to go to a pupil referral unit. Um, some of those systems may talk to each other or may not. Um, do, you, do you think if, say, obviously not for all, well, it could be for children, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but me looking at it in a very new light, um, if looked after children had like a profile like it was an online system that everyone put in. So it was a way of being able to communicate with different services through that child. Mm -hmm. So it was very personalized in, in like, instead of making it such a, I mean, in my experience, and I'm, I'm only in, in university, but the struggles I've had trying to get a conversation with a social worker that's not over email, or even trying to get them to understand how serious it is and then it just kind of being brushed off um it, it's so hard to communicate and to get a whole picture of each child um and you've got to know the full story you've got to do some digging and I think for schools and professionals that are coming into that child's life to not know what's going on in the full picture isn't going to help and what does that sound it it does sound uh, very coherent. Um, yeah. the, the issue has been with any recording systems, and there have been some suggestions that went along the lines of what you've just said about um, having um, a, a separate choice, they register for looked after children and separate databases. Um, there are significant issues around um, data protection and human rights. Okay. So it's, um, it's not possible. Um, to do it um, so it just needs to be something that's just improved through services 
essentially. And um, I, I would say that not not everyone needs to know everything. So, for yeah. example, um, I work with a young person who um, a young female looked after the child. She had significant issues around her period. Yeah. Um, and that was behavior, but also physical symptoms that was impacting on her um, emotions and in turn was impacting on her education attainment. She was essentially in too much pain to go to school. Mm. Does the police need to know all of that? No, no, I see what you're saying, yeah. Not everyone needs to know everything. Everything, and, yeah. Um, we worked quite sensitively around that and somehow made it okay. Yeah. Do our parents need to know about that? In theory, you could say yes. However, this was also a young person who'd been sexually abused within the family. And okay. they need to know about that? Mm. Well, they still have parental responsibility. Yeah. Um, because she was a after child, but his parents still held that. Um, so it then becomes really, really difficult to manage. Yeah. And as much as we as professionals may want to have that pool of information because it makes our life easier, as a young person, would I feel okay with that? When yeah. does that, my record get deleted? There yeah. may be an entry when I'm six years old and I still don't care when I'm 16. At what point do I, as a young person who's looked after, have control over what's being shared mm. about me. So it's that line, I guess, between being able to work in together and follow that data protection and how the yeah. children feel. Yeah. And there are and I guess, things. like you said, with the whole periods thing, it's for that, she obviously felt like she could trust you to disclose that. But for a lot of children, looked after children, going between foster homes, having different social workers, they don't have that person that they can trust. Because I know for a lot of looked after children, it's it's a lot to trust someone. Um, so they could just be dealing with that themselves, which, like you said, can then lead on to affect their education because... It's all about being able to be in, in the lesson fully, isn't it? And concentrate. Yeah. 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 What do you think, what would you do? What do you think needs to be changed to change the outcomes for looked after children? The what, educational outcomes. Um, we need more resources. Simple as that. We, we need to treat the children and young people for who they are and their children. They haven't chosen to be in a situation where agencies have taken measures to remove them from their family. So we shouldn't blame them for that. We shouldn't attribute blame through labelling the behaviour or the emotions that they may have. We shouldn't blame children for maybe displaying self-harming behaviors in whatever shape or form we shouldn't call it a lifestyle choice when they're being sexually or criminally exploited and that comes with resources and being able to 
meet the child, see a child for who they are, and then support them in the way that is relevant to them. And just put a service onto a child that we think is the only service that's available, and yeah. then make the child for not engaging. Yeah, it's not very personalised, is it? It's not, it's, they're the services. And instead of being able to work around that child's needs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, that, that just takes time. It takes money. It takes resources. And um, probably doing that loop back again to when I started working in 2006. Um, there were significant resources available. I was able to see children and young people sometimes on a weekly basis um, to work on a care plan together with them, uh, work with the foster carers. I could invest that time. That was okay. Um, those resources, um, and I see social workers as a resource and the time as a resource, that's just not there. There are too many pressures on the system. Um, so if there was, if I had a magic wand, I would give time and money to the public sector and the educational sector, and maybe sometimes um, try to educate other professionals, police, education, foster care, social workers to work in a trauma-informed way and stop blaming children. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. I'm just going to um, stop there.